Hey, welcome to this edition of the ABM Voice podcast. I'm your host Arun Gopalaswamy. I had an opportunity to speak with Mark Evans, an authority when it comes to branding, positioning and content-driven marketing. Mark is a fraction CMO and has been helping a number of B2B companies to set up their foundational marketing processes and using it to grow their businesses. Let's just jump straight in to listen to what Mark has to share with us. Good morning Mark. Thank you so much and I really appreciate you taking time and and doing this podcast with us. I want to get started by sort of asking you to get a, a quick introduction right in terms of what you actually do and uh, what are the focus areas for you and things like that. Well, I spent a lot of time on brand positioning, so I better get my story down. If I if I'm going to, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk, I should be pretty good at telling you what I do. So I run a consultancy focused on providing marketing services to B2B SaaS companies. My areas of expertise include positioning, messaging, and content-driven growth plans. And really, if you boil it down, what I'm focused on is helping Hmm. early stage companies, most of them under $10 million in sales, Hmm establish rock solid marketing foundation. So making sure that they have the key assets in place, they have a plan of attack, a roadmap for success. So when they go out and do marketing, that they do it very effectively and efficiently and successfully, because a lot of marketing is wasted because it's tactics before planning or even tactics without best practices. So I'm trying to help companies do the right marketing aimed at the right people in the right places. Interesting. Yeah. So you talked about the foundations. What are the certain aspects? I know you touched a little bit, but if you can just elaborate a little bit more on, on what the foundations are and, and when should companies essentially start looking at it, right? So I think it's easy to say you should do it at, uh, on day one, but uh, it doesn't happen, right? So practically, right? So so when should the company start thinking about having that right foundation set up and not just doing tactical stuff? Most technology companies, most technology entrepreneurs are focused on building a product. So it's about the product and features and how they can apply their technology to solve different problems, but they don't think about marketing. And that's a mistake because from the get-go, you've got to have a good customer story, whether your customer is someone who's going to use your product or employees or investors. So if you don't have that story or you're not thinking about it, from the beginning, then you're playing catch up and Mm. that you'll have a product, but no one will really understand who is it for, what are the benefits and how you're unique. There's no way to stand out from the crowd. So with all my clients, irregardless of where they're at in their journey, I always start with positioning and helping them clarify what they do, who they serve, the value of their product, why it matters to the people that they serve and how they're unique, different, or better. And if you have that story and it's aimed at specific types of customers, then your ability to effectively do sales and marketing will be enhanced. Without positioning, you're kind of lost in the crowd and you're competing against lots and lots of companies and they may have better stories, more compelling stories than you do. So the long answer to your question is, Right from the beginning, you have to think about that marketing foundation right from the beginning. Hmm. Yeah, so I agree. I think that 
definitely makes sense. But like, if you don't have the particular resources, uh, right? Uh, somebody who, who has that ability to think uh, product strategically and how do you uh, communicate and how do you sort of bring out the value proposition and things like that, right? So let's say a couple of founders just join hands and both are essentially right in the tech product. That's, that's the case it is, right? So they don't come from marketing background and marketing is something that is discovered, right? Like you said, so they make mistakes and then they really figure out, okay, this is what the uh, problem is and I, I start becoming a marketer, right? And typically, I've seen, at least from my experience, this has been uh, the case personally as well, right? But um, how can they solve the problem? I think it's also some sort of a chicken and egg, right? So if you don't have the resources to to have, let's say, somebody like you to come on and help them, uh, what are their options? Do they necessarily have to make the mistake and then and do it? Or what should they do? Well, I think a lot of early stage marketing and positioning can be down and dirty. So you can, even if you're an engineer or a technical person, you mm. can craft what I would call either the cocktail descri- description or the mm. or the description of the company that you would tell your grandmother or your wife, mm. somebody who mm. doesn't have any v- idea of what your technology does and how it works. So if they can understand what you do, and why anyone would need your product, then that's a good way to start. So if you go to mm-hmm. a cocktail party or a dinner party and someone says, what do you do? And if you mm-hmm. give them a technical answer and their response is, I don't understand what you do. I don't get it. And mm-hmm. they keep asking you for questions, asking you questions about to clarify for them, then you've got a problem. But if you mm-hmm. work in your story and you can iterate over time and right. you say, this is what I do, this is who I serve, and this is why they need it. If people mm. get it, and the next question they ask is, oh, that sounds interesting. Can you tell me more? Mm. Then you've got the beginnings of a good customer story. So it's a lot of trial and error, but I think the key is to recognize the importance of a good, clear customer story and a willingness to experiment. It's just like you mm. would do when you're developing a product. You, you right. develop it, you see whether it works or not. If it doesn't, you fix it. If it does, you keep going. So mm-hmm. that's how you approach your marketing. You've got to start with a simple story that anyone can understand. And that may mm-hmm. take some time, but you can do it yourself. There's no doubt about it. You just have to be committed to the process. Right. Yeah. So I remember the book, The Mom's Test. And I think it talks a lot about what you're uh, sort of uh, expanding into it, right? Uh, so on, with respect to branding, for example, right? So so where does that come, right? So you, you got this positioning going on, you're iterating your storytelling. How do you build the, the brand, right? And w- what's the time to invest on, on your brand? Again, I think that branding is something that you should be at least thinking about from the beginning because the reality in many cases is that perception is reality. How people see your brand, mm-hmm. how, how they view it, whether they think it's credible or trustworthy or legitimate is as important as the product itself. So it comes down to things like hmm. when they hit your website, is it well-designed, easy to navigate, clearly communicates your value proposition and who you're aimed at? Is that first impression, does it really matter? And do they walk hmm. away with a positive impression that would hmm. say, I think these guys are the real deal. I need to at least consider their product. It comes down to hmm. the kind of content that you put out uh, the way that you talk about yourself on social media, 
like every touch point that, that you think about is important because it's often if you if you don't create a positive first impression, then they'll they'll move on to the next competitor. And what you want to do is come across as trustworthy, a valuable resource, and someone looks like they're this is a real business. Like I'll give you a great example is that when you visit a website and you visit the about page, a if the about page doesn't tell you quickly what the customer story is and why why you're there and why the customer company exists, that's a fail. And if you go there and you hmm. and there's no there's no leadership team, there's no photos, there's no bios of the people behind the business, then it starts to raise questions hmm. about whether you're a real brand or whether you're an anonymous company. And so that's just one, just two examples hmm. of of branding essentials that many companies simply drop the ball on because they don't think it's important. So brand is hmm. everything. It's your advertising, it's your content, it's your website, it's how you when you get, right. get on stage at a conference, are you presentable? Do you look the role? It's multiple things, especially for young companies. Hmm. Excellent. I get it. Other frameworks, right? So for early stages, uh, early stage companies to think about branding, positioning, right? And and are, what are the measurement criteria to really figure out whether whatever you've done, so you start with some hypothesis, you build something like, how do you know this is working and how do you validate it? That's an excellent question. And I think it's something that people who do positioning are grapple with a lot because some of, of your positioning can be quantified. You can measure the success of, of a better customer story. So when people hit your website, the bounce rates are low, conversion rates are high, sales cycles are shorter because the because prospects understand what you do and why you matter to them. Retention rates are better because your customers are are constantly reminded about the value that you're getting and how you're different from competitors. So a lot of that can be measured. Um, some of it is is a little more anecdotal. So for example, when you're giving a demo or you're doing a, a sales presentation, is that your prospects are asking the right questions. They're not. They're, there's no. They're not unclear about what you do and why you're relevant to them. So that's another way of saying, hey, we're on the right track mm -hmm. because they're asking us better questions. They're not confused about what we do and whether we're relevant to them. Um, it can also be a general sense of confidence. So when a company is armed with better mm -hmm. positioning and a strong customer story, the marketer, the salesperson, mm -hmm. the CEO, they just feel more confident when they're talking to investors or in prospects or employees. They, just, mm -hmm. they sense that their story resonates better and that there's some clarity to what they're saying and, and the reaction, they get a positive reaction. And can you measure that with right. data-driven KPIs? No, absolutely. absolutely not. Can you measure that in, in, the, in the sense that you feel good about what you're saying and people believe you? That's absolutely the case. So the, the, it's a balancing act between, between what you can measure and what's qualifiable, you know, you, you sort of have to, it's different ways of, mm -hmm. of, of looking at how you solve a problem. Um, so it's a mixed right. approach and, and there's no, there's no one mm -hmm. single answer. You can't look at one KPI and go, yep, our messaging's delivering ROI. It's working. It's a multiple things. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think this makes sense. A related question, right? So when you're working with, especially uh, consultants like you, you're a fraction CMO by uh, yourself. Uh, when you're working with, like, let's say, similar set of clients, right? So how do you bring in that differentiation? It can't be sort of one playbook. You go and then 
implement for all of them, right? So how do you discover and how do you come up with something that's very unique to that particular company, that set of founders uh, and, and all of that? So that's a very uh, interesting question. And it's often a very challenging thing when you're trying to do positioning, because I believe that mm. every company can be unique, different or better. But the one thing I want to emphasize is that you don't necessarily have to be dramatically different from the competition. A lot of people mm. think that positioning means that they're going to look at your company and go, oh, my God, these guys are the most amazing thing. And they're so different from everybody else in the marketplace. And my approach is that as long as you're different in some way, some way that you can stand out and stand apart, mm. then that's enough for you to rally around that you can say, this is, mm. this is how we position ourselves differently and how we're a different type of company than everybody else in the marketplace. And there's, and in terms of the process, there's three things that you need to look at. Um, mm. One is your product and what is the offering? What are your strengths and weaknesses? What are the things that you do better mm. than other companies? What are the what are some of the things that people really like about your product and that you see a positive reception for when people use your product or when you talk about it? Um, number two would be your customers. And you know, obviously you want to find out what's important to them. You know, what are their goals and aspirations? Mm. What are their problems and challenges? Uh, what does success look like for them? And then how can you align your product? How can you tell a story that resonates with them because it reflects what their needs are, goals, um, aspirations? So knowing your, your, your customer inside out and understanding what they want and what success mm -hmm. looks like allows you to create positioning that can connect the dots. And the third thing is the competition. And this is an interesting mm -hmm. school of thought because there are some marketers who say, ignore the competition. They're irrelevant. You need to focus on what you do and your customers and your product. And that's what's important. And I believe that that's a, that's a flawed way of looking at the world because if you do that, then you operate in a silo. Uh, it, right. And it's, it's, it's either stupidity because you're, you just don't mm -hmm. recognize that the competition matters or it's blissful ignorance. Either way, mm -hmm. you're ignoring a really important source of information because you wanna know how your competitors position themselves. What are their strengths and weaknesses? What are the opportunities that you can capture that they're not taking advantage of right now? And if you don't know how they position themselves, then what you could do when you're going through the positioning journey as you could rally around something and then you could discover that your biggest competitor is already there. Mm. They're already telling that story mm. that you want to tell. And then how mm. do you stand apart from them? Especially if you're a smaller competitor is that they've already got you outflanked and you haven't even started. So it's a, it's absolutely necessary to look at, you know, your biggest three to five competitors and get a real sense of how do they go to market? How do they position themselves? And then match that with what you know about your customers and how your product is different or unique. And you, you mix that all together and you come out the other end with a way that you can differentiate yourself. Uh, it takes time. Uh, when I work with clients, it's mm -hmm. a, it tends to be a three to six week process that involves a lot of research. Mm -hmm. um, sure. But you have to go through the journey to, to really identify uh, what matters to you. Hmm. No, I think it makes perfect sense. 
And in terms of the positioning, branding, right? So how does it evolve as the company sort of starts growing from? So when you're thinking about zero to 500, zero to one mil kind of a journey from, let's say one to five, five to 10. So how do you iterate it and how do you evolve the branding, positioning, everything in between? So both positioning and branding are not set it and forget it kind of propositions. It's, that's right. it's not something that you develop once and then that's it. We've got it for life and it's it has a long shelf life. It evolves because your product evolves. If the features are expanded and enhanced and it, the product does more things and solves more problems, or it could be that the uh, your customer's needs change and what's important to them is different from what's what was important when your company was less mature, or mm-hmm. it could be the competitive landscape changes or the economic landscape changes. So right. I'll give you a great example is that, you know, the latter half of 2020 and 2021, a lot of B2B SaaS companies were focused on helping companies that wanted to grow. It was all about acquisition and right. it was about attracting as many customers as quickly as possible to your product because we were in this digital transformation stage. And then over the last six to nine months, that rising tide, that economic force, um, the market change. And now with the economy more challenging, a lot of B2B SaaS companies, their their position needs to be about productivity and efficiency and stressing to customers. We can help you run your business better as -hmm. opposed to growing aggressively. Uh, so, so it, it's, it's, you're constantly sort of tweaking the dials and you're, you're looking at different factors to see, is our story still on point? Is our positioning still relevant and accurate? Is our branding still aligned with what our customers want and think? So in some sense, it's a process that never ends. You're always looking to optimize change update. Um, and that's just the way that marketing goes. Sometimes it's not a static kind That's of right. uh, exercise. Right. But h- how often do you intervene, right? So is it like a, a fixed period or is it based on some revenue numbers? Is it based on, let's say, your product expansion itself, right? So what are the things that marketers should keep in mind while they revisit this, right? And obviously this is not something that I can keep doing every, I don't know, two months, three months, quarter or whatever, right? So there has to be a sustained period where you set up and basically see how it's working and then uh, refine it and come back to it, right? So what's the revisit time? That's a good question because I don't think there's a single answer to your question. I think that marketers, especially data-driven marketers, are always looking at the results and their KPIs and their dashboards, and they're trying to assess, is what we're doing working? And so... Mm what they'll discover along the way is something stop working as, as effectively as they should for whatever reason. So you have to identify the signs that marketing isn't performing as well as it has before. So what's going on? You have to drill mm-hmm. deep into um, different factors. So you could discover that a competitor is doing something really amazing. Their marketing is more aggressive, more successful, or that the, the economic landscape has changed, or that customers are telling you things that they want, but you're not delivering. So you're, you're constantly looking for information and you're constantly looking for ways that, how can you tweak the dial? How can you optimize? Because optimization is obviously, uh, you know, just a way of doing business. But in terms of like your 
positioning and branding. I would say that every quarter you do a, a light touch, a, lit, a sort of a litmus test to say, is our positioning still relevant, still topical? And that could be just a checkpoint saying, okay, mm -hmm. we checked in, um, we see some things could be changed or it could be that we're, we're still good. It's still good. Mm -hmm. And I think that every year on an annual basis, there should be sort of a positioning exploration to go through the process, to look at the competitive landscape, to, mm. to talk to your customers and see how they've changed over the past year and really step back and say, okay, uh, is our positioning on our branding still on point? Does it still matter or is it time for a refresh? So light touches throughout the year, every quarter, and then a more serious positioning exercise once a year. Interesting. Mm. And would that be some kind of a checklist based, right? So as you start uh, looking into this deeper, right? So you evolve and then come with certain factors on which you're building the whole strategy branding. So, so over a period of time, you sort of like build a checklist and that could be used for more uh, light touch as well as a nearly more deeper touch. Like I'm just trying to understand how uh, this can be put in place in a practical way. That's a great question. And I think if we go back to the three pillars, uh, product, customers, competition, is that you could build a checklist based on the three pillars. So for example, you look at your product and you can say, have we added new features? Have we added new functionality? Have the benefits changed? Uh, are customers using it in different ways? You know, Is the product still as, as different than the competition. So you could just put a checklist against the product. Then you put a checklist for your customers. Uh, mm. What do customers want? Have their needs changed? Are they getting mm. as much value from the product? What features and benefits are they using the most? So uh, again, self-scrutiny. And then the, do the same thing for the competitive landscape. Um, are our competitors still the same? Who are the new competitors? Mm. Who are the competitors that we're um, most interested in? Uh, is the, Has their positioning changed? Um, are some of them marketing more aggressively? So you're asking a series of, it's either a checklist or a questionnaire, That's right. but you just have to go through some basic questions and that'll give you pretty quick idea about whether anything has changed and as important, um, you know, how significant is it and whether you're, you need to change in a small way or a big way. So it's, it's just part of the, it's part of the exercise and having a checklist or a, a list of questions is a good way to efficiently do that. Excellent points. Thank you so much. Um, I think I wanted to jump into some ABM related topics. And before I do that, maybe this is something I, I should have started with, right? So how did you get uh, interested in, in these topics, which, which you basically specialize in and focus more right, in terms of uh, branding, positioning and, and those sort of things. It's, that's not something that typically people pick up and then they go for tactical stuff, right? So how did you get into the, first of all, the marketing space, B2B marketing space uh, and SaaS? So talk about a little bit about uh, your experience there. So it's a bit of a long story. So I'll give you the the Reader's Digest version of sure. it. I, I started my career as a, as a newspaper reporter, mm -hmm. uh, mostly covered technology for two of Canada's largest newspapers and Bloomberg News. So I'm a storyteller at heart. I'm trained to write stories that resonate with, with readers. And along the way in writing about technology and covering venture capital, I got recruited by a venture capitalist to work for a startup. Mm. 
And that was the end of my journalism career and how I got into marketing. And along the way, I just uh, just felt an affinity towards B2B SaaS companies in Canada, uh, where I live. We have a lot of B2B companies, but not a lot of B2C companies. We're a relatively small country. And so it just seemed like a natural place for me to, to gravitate. And you know, I see marketing as storytelling, Absolutely. is whether you're using blog posts or advertising or infographics or eBooks, it's all stories that you're trying to use to connect with target audiences. And is, is it a skill or is it an art? Sorry to interrupt. I think it's a combination of, hmm. of art and science, to be honest with you. Storytelling is sometimes you can look at data and you can, you can determine the type of stories that resonate with target audiences, what they respond to in a very metric focused way. And sometimes it's, it's, it's anecdotal. It's just the way you feel about how people respond, how can you measure enthusiasm and excitement and inspiration? Probably not. Can you feel like when you talk to people that they're excited about what you do when you're in front of an audience, are they, are they on the edge of their seats and they're curious about what you're going to tell them? That's mm -hmm. part of storytelling. Um, you know, the reality is that storytelling, a lot of it has to do sure. with emotions and people make many, many decisions based on how they feel about something and their emotional approach to something, as opposed to rational thought, for example, People buy Apple computers, many people buy Apple computers because they feel that Apple computers mm. are cool and they're cutting edge and that, you know, you, you're part of this global tribe, whereas they don't have the same feeling mm. about a Dell. Do you get emotional about a Dell computer? Mm. No. Buying a Dell is a very transactional process because, you know, you're, you just need a computer that works and, and you just buy a Dell because it's, it's cheaper and it just does the job. And that's just an example of, of how storytelling and how brand can be very emotion driven. Hmm. So do you miss the journalism career? Do I miss journalism? Yes and no. I, I'm still doing a lot of writing. I'm still, you know, get to interview really interesting people and tell their stories in different ways. Uh, the other side of it is that journalism is a, is a lot different than when I was a journalist in the last 15 years since I left is that the pace is faster. There's less journalism happening. People, you know, are less interested in, in insightful, long stories. And it, journalism is a tougher business Absolutely. these days overall. Um, and sometimes you just land upon, you know, I'm doing a different type of journalism right now. If you, if you could argue that I'm still being a journalist, but in a different way, I'm more of a, of a content driven sure. journalist than a news driven journalist, but it was an exciting place to be. And, and the one thing I will say is that the writing skills and the story skills that I developed when as a journalist have really done, have been a great part of how I've been successful mm -hmm. as a marketer. Uh, just one last question around that. So writing for, let's say a newspaper versus digital, is it very different? How do you approach? I, I don't think that journalism is different than marketing is that at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is create stories and content that resonate with the people that matter to you. So when you're a journalist, it's all about people who That's read right. the paper and whether you're giving them information that, that they find interesting or informative or educational. And the same thing goes for marketing is that you're trying to connect with target audiences and deliver content that and information that they're going to find useful so that maybe 
they start to consider you as a, as a possible purchase mm. option. So your motivations are very mm. similar. The end result for newspapers about readership and getting people to look at your story and advertising for, for software, it's just about having them consider you and actually sign up for a demo, download a free trial, or actually make purchase a product. Different end results, but same motivations. Excellent. Um, so like I said, I just wanted to talk a little bit about ABM. What are your thoughts about ABM? How are your clients approaching ABM? So what are the progressions that are happening, right? So uh, can you talk a little bit about these topics? Yeah, I mean, ABM, ABM is a really interesting thing these days because to be honest with you, a lot of my clients never didn't really lean into ABM over the past, you know, like a year ago, or because there was so much demand for mm. B2B SaaS. They, whatever marketing right. they did, there was this rising tide that lifted all ships. So they were producing content, doing social media, using Google ads, just the basics of marketing. And, and ABM was used by, I would say, companies that were more sophisticated marketers that had more mature marketing organizations that could you know, provide the support, the, the assets, the outreach, the, the ability to connect with BDRs uh, that a larger organization could easily accomplish because it's multifaceted. There's lots of different moving parts with ABM. Smaller organizations, I would argue, probably shied away from it. Yes, they used drip marketing campaigns, but it really wasn't part of their mix. But I think what's changed is that connecting with prospects is whether they're warm or cold has become mm. a lot more challenging. And to be honest with you, companies, many companies are scrambling for leads right. these days. And the traditional methods, social media, content marketing may not be as effective in terms of breaking through the noise. So ABM, in my view, is being embraced as a, as a more targeted, effective way of trying to connect with the audiences that matter to you. So the ability to focus on take a very narrow approach to marketing as opposed to mm. a shotgun approach um, is very appealing to many of my clients these days. And how are companies are doing this or should do in terms of having the positioning, branding aspects, right? So within the, so when, when they decide to do something like an ABM, right? So are these two parallel tracks or how do you sort of bring all of this together, right? So ABM at the end of the day is do, uh, doing things in a very, coordinated way and then not doing in silos, right? So, so uh, the things that we talked about initially, so how do you sort of bring that into the ABM mix? So that's a great question because I think regardless of the marketing channel is that you need to have your positioning established and need to have a strong customer story. So that however people discover you, that they'll have a clear and quick sense about what you do and whether you're relevant to them, whether what you do matters and is going to help them achieve their goal, solve their problems. So irregardless of whether you're doing content marketing or social media or advertising, at the end of the day, they're going to arrive at your website and they're going to quickly decide whether you're, you, you're relevant to them. So when you're doing ABM, when you're reaching out to your target audiences, and these it could be a list that you've nurtured over the years, or it could be a list that you've, that you've gotten cold and it's mm -hmm. all cold outreach is that at some point in time, you're going to have to tell them, here's what we do and here's why you should consider us an option. And, you, and then you can layer on top of that whatever messaging, whatever campaigns, whatever stories you want to tell them. Um, but at, fundamentally, if 
that if those efforts work and you are successful in getting them to book a call or check out your website, your story right. better be down because if you don't have a good story, right. then they'll bounce. And then all your ABM right. efforts will be wasted or they won't be as successful right. as they should yeah. be. I agree. And uh, so what sort of companies at what maturity do you really think, right? So companies should start thinking ABM seriously versus something that is very, uh, I think it's, it's sort of a FOMO, right? So if you're a B2B marketer, so you're you're expected to do ABM campaigns, right? So I think we've sort of gotten to the stage, but we to, to have that effectiveness and then really derive most out of a, your ABM investments and effort, right? So like what sort of companies and what sort of teams should be in place before they should actively pursue ABM programs? I think that companies of all sizes can leverage ABM. Some of them can be more aggressive. They can have multiple campaigns, longer sequences running at the same time. And some of them can simply take a very simple, straightforward approach to ABM. They can have one sequence, one target audience, and that, and that allows them to actually leverage ABM. Now, the key is, in addition to having your positioning and your customer story solidified, you also need a website that's gonna that's optimized for conversions, so that if you do do ABM, it's actually gonna do what you want it to do. I would argue that you need a library of assets that you can use to nurture and support your ABM sequences. So at some point in time, you know ABM campaigns are best designed when they're delivering value, they're delivering insight. They're not simply designed to say, "Hey, we we do this, you should check us out, mm -hmm. you should book a call." My my bias towards ABM is to be as helpful and as informative as possible for as long as possible. Because in B2B SaaS, it often takes, you know, seven, eight, 10, 15 touch points before someone will even hmm. take an action, book, book a demo or discovery call. So along the way, you got to have the assets in place to do that. Now, it could be a really good guide or a series of blog posts or some informative videos or infographics or some case studies, whatever you've got, you just have to make sure that you've got enough collateral in place to support the needs and interests of your target audiences. Cause they're, they're, they're in education. Um, they're in the stage where they would need to be educated, engaged and, and, and sometimes right. even entertained. So if you don't have anything in your library, then there's no way to support your ABM campaign. So you got to have something and, and you can develop that, some of that stuff on the fly. You can start with a small library and then on the fly, develop things, develop a blog post that you think is going to resonate, uh, create an infographic that you can support for the next sequence. But you've just continually got to build out that those those assets. And then in time, you can run multiple ABM campaigns and have a, a library that you can say you can pull from um, really quickly mm -hmm. and really easily. But um, it really is sort of, you've got to start and you don't necessarily have to go super fast and be super aggressive. Um, you can take a very pragmatic and conservative approach, but there's some basics you need in place to make it happen. Right. So the ABM content itself, so between a traditional B2B marketing versus an ABM, right, do you think the content uh, sort of uh, changes a, a lot, especially when you flavor or layer the uh, the personalization aspect of ABM, right? So like, how do you scale, first of all, and how do you build different types of content, right? Well, your basic messaging could be uh, sort of the same, but you need to sort of get that flavor depending on the cluster of accounts or a particular account, right? So 
how do you approach this and like what are the some best practices that you can uh, advise to marketers who are wanting to try this well I, i think for some for most companies when it comes to abm is the idea to take a walk before you run approach to abm is that rather than trying to create abm campaigns most focused on multiple uh, personas mm-hmm. at the same time which means that you have to have slightly different stories and different assets to educate yeah. and engage them and that can be very complicated so what you what i would suggest and this is what i do with a lot of my clients is you focus on mm-hmm. one or two personas and then in that way you t- you tell slightly different stories based on their needs but you can service them with the same assets with the same blog posts or case studies or videos it can it can because they you're focused on audiences with the same basic needs now as your abm became more sophisticated and as you become more focused on specific mm-hmm. types of personas you're going to have to develop assets that are aligned with their interests and their needs and that that's a reflection of your abm becoming more sophisticated but i think what i'm trying to stress is that it's okay to walk before you run it's okay to be you know take a a very modest approach as opposed right. to an aggressive approach and what you what happens when you do that is mm-hmm. that you learn along the way you get a better understanding for what works and what doesn't what assets you need um what's missing what your gaps are the the things that your that your prospects ask you um will inform you in terms of what you need to give them so i think and for many companies abm is a learning process it's very iterative um and it's important to recognize that a lot of things that you might do out of the out of the from the beginning may not be as effective as you want to but you'll learn and start to optimize um your campaigns and the and the different sequences that you use 100% i agree uh so what sort of abm programs are you helping your customers to set up so is it more one to one one to few one to many uh largely right so and especially when somebody's getting started right for the reasons that you just talked about right what is the an ideal abm approach company should uh, take when when they are sort of dipping their toes into the abm waters it, the biggest thing the biggest thing is essentially is not to I mean you can take different approaches you can reach out to ABM campaign can consist of you know 100 targets and six sequences mm-hmm. or you can focus on 500 and three or four sequences it depends on how much assets you have and how aggressive you want to be i don't think there's a one size fits all uh um recipe for for doing ABM to be successful at ABM obviously you've got to have some key metrics you got to be monitoring the success of your programs and see what works uh but i would say that uh i i start i i start smaller with a lot of of my abm uh clients simply because it takes a lot of work to get the sequences developed and get the assets developed so you know if you try to to do too much too soon you'll run out of steam and run out of energy and the worst thing you can do with an abm campaign is is to have it come to an abrupt right. stop and you sort of run out of things to say or run out of assets to right. share and that way you've you've haven't even gained any momentum you haven't started to even resonate with your target mm-hmm. audiences who are waiting for mm-hmm. more and expect more but you've run out of momentum and energy and so again it goes back to if you're going to do something do it right try not to get overly aggressive and and 
And that way you can actually do it in a very sustained way. And that's, that's the key to B2B SaaS these days is it's about consistency and it's about being able to keep going right. uh, and right. continually iterate and improve. Right. So you talked about how uh, the buying process that it takes, right? So 15, 20 touch points, right? So if you have to develop content for such a long, uh, such frequent kind of a touch point, right? So uh, this could not just be just one channel, for example. You can't just keep sending emails, right? Even though the content, underlying content could be different, right? So how do you bring that mix? Well, some, I mean, there's, there's obviously different pillars that you want to consider with ABM. Obviously, one of it is content marketing because it feeds into your ABM campaign and provides right. content that educates, enlightens, engages. So that's one thing you need to consider to support an ABM team. And the other thing is a lot of it is could be advertising base, you know, leveraging Google ads or LinkedIn or retargeting to remind people of your brand and drive them um, into your funnel in different ways. Because ABM is just sort of one lever that you can pull. A, a lot of the ways you can use advertising, for example, to drive people to a landing page to download an ebook or a guide or an infographic, and then you feed that information into your ABM campaign. So you create this, this virtuous circle where everything is sort of feeding into each other. And that way you start to expand the footprint of your ABM campaign, the network, the people that you're focused on and your retargeting can be, can be very focused on specific niches um, based on filters and segmentation. So a lot of that actually works together. So ABM in and of itself is, is multifaceted and, and can involve multiple channels at the same time. So a lot of my clients use content and use advertising and retargeting to create kind of like an ABM machine. Hmm. Mark, could you talk about sales marketing alignment in the context of ABM? I think that from the beginning of an ABM campaign, sales needs to be involved in the process. They need to understand what you're doing and they need to inform you about what a lead looks like. What, how do you quantify a lead within an ABM campaign? For some companies, it's they book a demo or a discovery call. For others, it's more about engagement, number of emails that are open, number of click-throughs, uh, you know, um, people who, who uh, subscribe to multiple, like read multiple sequences. And a lot of that can, can be very much engagement-based. But if sales says to marketing, anybody who opens four emails that clicks on three links that, you know, that could be a lead. And so what they want to do is if they specify that information, you can feed that information to your BDRs or your SDRs, and then they can do their own outreach separate from the ABM campaign. So the ABM campaign is driving engagement. It's, it's, getting, it's getting people to self-identify whether they're interested in the effort without even booking a call. You don't have to necessarily do that. And then sales can be coordinated to take advantage of that and to take the signals that they're seeing and to follow through. So it's, it's a one-two punch, but they have to work together. Thanks for that, Mark. Before we conclude, do you have any parting thoughts to share? Also, how should our listeners reach out to you if they need your help? Yeah, my parting thought would be it's easy to get seduced by marketing. It's easy to look at what other companies are doing and the success that they're having and feel a sense of FOMO that if you're not doing aggressive marketing, that you're missing out on opportunities to drive your business forward. And the reality is, is that most companies should take a pragmatic walk before you run approach to marketing. 
make sure that you have a foundation in place that's built on clear positioning, rock solid messaging, and a real plan to action. And the other thing I would say is that you don't need to be in all places to serve all people. So taking a shotgun approach to marketing where you're using six different channels and you're spreading yourself too thin could be a very could be a way to, to do marketing ineffectively. If you find one or two channels that work for you, whether it's LinkedIn and content marketing, and those are the channels that resonate with your target audiences and you have a good story to back yourself up, then lean into that. And that may be all you need to do from an early stage perspective. And as your company becomes more better financed, more successful, then you can you can leverage different channels. So that's my overall philosophy. It may not be the way that a lot of marketers think, but it's, you could say it's conservative, but I think it's pragmatic. Um, and in terms of how people can connect with me, my website is marketingspark.co. Uh, you can also search for me on LinkedIn. Just search for Mark Evans Fractional CMO. Uh, I have a, par- a podcast, a weekly podcast called Marketing Spark. I'm not very original in terms of my, the names. Uh, and I recently um, published the second edition of my book, also called Marketing Spark, on Amazon. So lots of different ways that you can engage with me and connect with me. And if you want to email me, it's mark at markevans.ca. You are listening to the ABM Voice Podcast. This show is produced by Reiko Tab, edited by Hanfus Bucker, mixing by Kelko Productions. If you have questions or feedback, write to us at podcast at recotab.com. Until next time, this is your host, Arun, signing off. Thank you.